Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, the original additive manufacturing podcast and your source of news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. This time, Jonathan Rowley, who ran UK Service Bureau Digits to Widgets for eight years and is now setting up the AM Manifest Community Navigation Platform, is joined by Blake Porter, the former NTOP CTO, who is now involved in the Lattice Robot online community through his Gradient Control Laboratories Incubator. The pair believe that AM and DFAM are in the Gartner hype cycle trough of disillusionment, and the way out of it will be widespread access to information. Hence, they are both working to provide platforms for engineers to advance their DFAM skills, to learn and to share, and ultimately, to get the most out of 3D printing technology. Throughout their conversation, Rowley and Coulter share more details about their respective ventures while emphasising what it will take to get more people using additive manufacturing technologies effectively. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. How are you today, Jonathan? I'm great, thanks, Blake. It's lovely to be here with you. Um, it's it's lovely to have been invited by uh, TCT to to speak to you um, about our, our mutual enthusiasms, and I'm really looking forward to 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 getting into it with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Perhaps we should introduce ourselves to uh, to the general audience. Um, I don't think well, I'm certainly not a massive celebrity. Um, so I'm Jonathan Rowley. My background's in architecture. I practiced architecture for 20 years until in 2011. I, you know, long cut to cut a long story short, I started running um, AM Service Bureau in central London, running industrial polymer technology. Um, it was a slightly unusual bureau in that we didn't have any specific application focus. We weren't focusing on any particular type of client. We were also available to talk to designers about their designs and ambitions before even quoting, let alone printing anything. Um, and that was all about wanting to nurture faith in 3D printing as a purposeful technology and to make first time users of AM, have it work for them on whatever level, so that they would become repeat customers and you know, develop a faith in the technology as being purposeful. Um, and so you know, allied to that being located in London with its world renowned design community, this provided a pretty incredible um, level of diverse DFAM AM experience you know, ranging from, you know, the early teens um, until the end of, of, of that decade when I, when I left. Um, since then, I've been doing DFAM consulting on SLS um, and also giving lectures to design and engineering schools across the UK on that subject. Um, I'm on the steering committee of the UK DFAM network. I'm on the TCT editorial advisory group and I was recently appointed associate lecturer on a brand new design for industry 5.0 master's course at the University of the Arts in London. Um, sorry for that massive mouthful, 
but I'm kind of dripping in AM, as you can hear. Cool. Um, so my name's Blake Quarter. I, I come from more of the engineering software side of things, uh, only reluctantly into AM. Um, I started my career at PTC back in the 90s when it was growing rapidly. And to me, I think of that as like my grad school. I was there for six years as a first as just a sales engineer, working my way up through product management. And eventually, as PTC became more open, started the practice of business development uh, there where I launched uh, their modeling kernel, which is which which uh, was uh, as much an internal business journey as an external business journey. Uh, I, I, I was disappointed to learn in industry that engineers, for the most part, did not use geometric modeling tools because I was both an engineer and someone who loved geometry and uh, started space claim with the goal of democratizing, if you will, geometric modeling and getting on the, the desktops of engineers. What we learned at, at space claim uh, was that actually most of the people who had pent up demand to access geometry were downstream of CAD, simulation users, manufacturing users, additive manufacturing print prep type type applications. Um, and um, ANSYS eventually acquired SpaceClaim. Just before them, I joined GrabCAD uh, when it was in the very early days uh, to build their first commercial product, Workbench. Um, and we, we it, it was, Workbench was going about as well as one might expect, uh, but sort of due to, due to the rise in advanced manufacturing, Stratasys came along and said, hey, won't you please, uh, evolve our 3D printers into actual proper manufacturing tools. Um, and you guys look like the right kind of nerds for the challenge. And I'm like, and, and at the time, if I don't know, you probably can't find these things anymore, but back on the old 2010, 2011 era Twitter, I used to talk about 3D printing pr parts being basically the equivalent of, 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 of you know, the, the, the low end plastic junk. Um, and although useful for prototyping, I was more of a fan of doing things with CNC machining. Um, but when once you're, as an engineer, you're asked to like, you're given a problem to solve. It's like, oh, you want me to solve the problem? Well, let me tell you how to do it, right? It's just wonderful. And so um, we built GrabCAD print to unify the print, uh, the, the, all the different sort of various Stratasys 3D printer specific products, which was a, it, it, it means we had to learn the requirements of, of about a half a dozen printing technologies and sort of create a platform that could eventually support all of it worked out quite well. I'm especially proud of the parts that take precise CAD geometry and you just pick out some faces and get what you want, say, out of FDM and some of the color stuff that, that we got done for PolyJet. Um, Stratasys was a wonderful place to work. I, I, they, I, I, I basically built a, a research lab uh, and, and a modeling kernel, my first implicit kernel, uh, which... I, everyone called a slicer, but I was doing generative modeling in it, mostly of support structures. But support structures are a fascinating physics problem and um, engineering problem. And I, I, I realized while topology optimization was starting to really take off, I, I, and, and also like latticing tools like end topology element were getting started, I kind of had this sort of third way of doing things with implicit modeling. And I felt like I was just on top of the world. Went around and got a dozen projects of Stratasys. They had a bunch of skunk works, one of which got spun off to Evolve Additive, one of which got spun off to Falcon uh, that was acquired by EOS with David Lee uh, running it. Um, and, and so having been able to sort of work on all of these different projects and enable all of these things, I really, I, it was a wonderful sort of renaissance for me, if, if, if you will, to sort of redo modeling with implicits and then deliver all this value with that. And it was around that time that I befriended Brad 
Rothenberg, the CEO of Ventopology, who was trying to figure out how to sort of go from being a cool lattice tool that was really being rapidly embraced to something that could be a more of a mainstream engineering tool. And we, we lent hard on generative design. Uh, I joined to build their product team. And then uh, sort of as COVID became a thing, I became less active with the hands-on management and, and sort of took on the CTO role. Um, but basically, we built the NTOP, what's now known as NTOP or NTOP platform, um, that application to try to really generalize a generative design using some of the sort of concepts I'd learned uh, from, from Stratasys, but also mixed with topology optimization, mixed with lattices. Uh, we call the, the, the outcome field-driven design. Um, and I mean, I think NTOP's a phenomenal success story. Uh, I, I, I think everyone right now sees it as a leader. I don't think most people are aware of just how precise and interactive it is and what an amazing achievement that is by the engineering team. Um, and, and uh, the, leader, the, the leaders there, Trevor Laughlin, uh, Joey, George, uh, these guys really have, have built an amazing product um, that, that I think will remember, the history will remember. Um, so I'm very proud to have made some early contributions to that. Uh, and I'm proud to still be associated with the company uh, in sort of a consulting role. Um, so, and so I guess we're doing long introductions. Uh, Anyhow, nowadays I'm working on a number of projects that we'll talk about on the call. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think that it's a pretty exciting time because there's a lot of raw technology out there, um, but there's still a lot of work to be done to get people using it. And uh, I think that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think where we come together, Blake, is um, through a belief in the importance, the fundamental importance of DFAM to the to any success, be it present or future, um, with AM. Um, your, your focus is on the, the kind of the CAD tool side, which is imperative. Um, and you know, my my focus is a bit more on the, the kind of pure design side. I mean, I think, you know, fundamentally the the design of any object that's going into AM is absolutely the first stage of any successful project. Um, AM makes nothing, it doesn't improve any design in any way. If, you're, if you feed uh, any form of AM technology a mediocre design, the very, very best you'll get back is a mediocre object. It doesn't improve it in any way. And anyone who's still trying to sell anything these days on the back of it being 3D printed um, is a bit misguided. So it's from my perspective, and I, th I think you agree, Blake, it's it's absolutely crucial that that all of the decisions you make at the very, very beginning of the process are, are vital. And that is selecting the appropriate software tool, the correct technology and the correct material and unless you get that right the chances of getting anything really good out of it at the end are, are pretty slim actually and what is so difficult is having the ability as a relative novice i mean you and i are kind of fortunate we're kind of steeped in this technology but anyone who's looking to try and use it 
um, for the first time, it's very difficult to make those correct first moves. Um, and I think what is so interesting about the time we live in now is that, you know, AM has been in general circulation for more than a decade, over which a whole slew of people have developed an awful lot of experience as to what works, what doesn't. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're, I think both of us are talking off the back of the, the Gartner hype cycle. And I think most people would agree that we are now in the trough of disillusionment, probably fairly near the bottom, if not slightly creeping up the other side. But what is absolutely imperative is that people start to learn the lessons of, of all the trial and error that, that people who've got the experience have been through and using that to help push us up the hill of the, of the slope of enlightenment. Um, and I Is everyone aware of, of what we, uh, this, this Gartner hype cycle? Um, maybe we should back up and explain. That was the, that was the sort of beginning of it. Like, um, should we explain what this thing is that we're referring to? And you can Google, you can Google hype cycle for manufacturing digital transformation innovation. 2022 that's the reference image we're looking at today um yeah and, and and you know this is something that's been applied to am for the for as long as i've been in it for over 10 years um when i joined it we were at the top of the first peak um and i've had the joy of the of the descent down the slope into the trough um, so so the um, just to, 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 for the audience the idea is that Gartner, this this consulting group, uh, has has a model that's quite popular, and I don't have a better model, so we'll go with it. Uh, is, is that any time a new technology, we're talking about advanced manufacturing and generative design, DFAM, uh, but any technology that, that when it gets introduced to a market, there's an early phase where the cognoscenti, the early, the innovators and the early adopters say, "Hey, this is really great. We should use this." And the the people that are kind of like that embrace it and there's a bunch of noise as we saw around 3d printing you have you know bray press sitting on stage saying this machine can make anything and you're making little plastic blobs something's not adding up yet is that there's something behind the idea that's getting a massive groundswell as an engineer you're trying to figure out what's going on uh this is and so this is this is like it's called a hype cycle um and so so there's so you start with this innovation trigger is the first phase then, then there's this big sort of this 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 peak of inflated expectation, which is caused by all the hot air, you know, that you know people like Jonathan and 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 I are probably guilty of. Um, the then and, and at some point people realize that we're full of baloney and don't really know what to do <laughs> with this stuff, and that's where we think we are now with advanced manufacturing. Uh, like all the technology exists, these machines seem pretty capable. Yet, how do you practically put them to work? And, and, and according to the Gartner model, uh, this is solved by a slower growth period called the slope of enlightenment, where practical things come along to take that raw technology and actually make it work for businesses. And finally, we reach the plateau of productivity. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 don't take, I don't think anybody takes this stuff too seriously, but it's a, it's a perfectly good thesis to orient a podcast around. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you can do a TED talk on this, but um, 
th thank you for thank you for explaining that, Blake, so elegantly. Um, as as I said, that's that's something that AM has been measured against for as long as I've been involved, um, and I've seen an awful lot of people jump off the technology as it's descended into that trough of disillusionment. Um, but I'm still on board because I believe that it has a lot to offer anybody who makes anything at any level, but it's about finding your, your appropriate uh, suite of technologies to, to make it work for you. And from there, you can develop and grow into it. Um, but as, as, as I said, I think that, you know, the accumulated DFAM experience that's been gathered over the last 10 or 15 years it's absolutely absolutely crucial that this is consolidated um, and disseminated so that people can learn the lessons, all of the hit and miss that has been going on in order to start to make it really purposeful. And that's the way that it will start to become properly you know, embedded as a perfectly normal um, you know, manufacturing technology. Wonderful. And I, I... I, I think that if generative generative design is in a similar place where we've all been inspired by topology optimization and uh, you know Westworld like designs, and you're like, hey, there's something to that. It's sort of this crossover between you know the, the things that look like they were designed by by mankind and, and the first humankind and, and, and the um, things that have been designed by machines, um, but yet yeah, or by nature. Um, it, it yet yeah, you know, we see we're starting to see certain parts in certain places, but when you look at you, know, you often sort of see a vehicle that's been lightweighted and they've just taken some parts off and filled them with lattices and stuck them back on, and 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 and, and it's like okay we've we've done that at the piece part level, but what about systems engineering? And, and they talk about design for no assembly, uh, for example, uh, and and top down generative design. So. It, and we don't even really have it's not easy to use simulation on an assembly scale right so 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 there's a lot of sort of missing pieces yet a lot of sort of cool ideas and promise and yeah i would i would say that there were kind of three these three ingredients i mentioned before to generative design of uh, the topology optimization uh lattice or mesoscale approaches um, and then just sort of implicit modeling techniques that kind of generalize those and have a lot of kind of interesting things that you do in between. All of these are accessible in a tool like NTOP, which and, 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 and aspects of this are being implemented with different sort of value propositions and in, 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 in existing tools and, and their new startups differentiating. And it's a pretty exciting time to be watching generative design. And I think everyone's asking sort of, Everyone's trying to go from this technology to applications, and and I, th I think we're, we're we're kind of seeing that as you watch how, how at, at a time like this, you often see businesses sort of get attached to various industries and specialize and differentiate, and 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 so that's that's one aspect of that happening. And I think that you and I are working on some tools ourselves to try to move that along in in ways that require new approaches. Should we should we should we move on to that topic? Yeah. Yeah, our solutions, because it's all, you know, there's there's no shortage of people who can identify problems. Um, that's absolutely step one. But what problems need are solutions. Um, and I certainly know that you're well on your way to, to consolidating 
a lot of really helpful um, knowledge for dissemination. And I'm, I'm working on something that I hope will have a similar effect in terms of getting people off on the right foot. Yeah, you want to shoot first? Um, yeah, sure. Um, the project I've been working on for about a year and a half now is something called AM Manifest. Um, and I've chosen the word manifest in the title, not just because it's about laying out the technology and cataloging the technology as it exists, but it's also playing on the, on the meaning of the word manifest in terms of being able to make something real, turning it from an ambition into a reality. Um, and so what AM Manifest is, is a, a plat an online platform whereby users have the opportunity to identify themselves. Who are you in terms of a potential user of AM? What design experience do you have? What experience do you have of AM? What software can you use if you can use any software at all? And that kind of establishes the level of the user who's looking at AM. You could, you could be a school child or you could be an experienced design engineer, but by answering a series of questions that defines you as a user. Um, and then the platform would have uh, a way of you quite concisely defining what your project is going to be. What, what is the object you're trying to achieve? What is your ambition in terms of whether it's for a prototype or a production object? Um, so that, that, so that identifies what your ambition is. And then via um, an algorithm and some machine learning, a, a, a comprehensive catalog, not just a catalog, but a classified catalog of all AM technologies is trawled through and picks out a palette of starter technology ingredients with which uh, the user can then purposefully embark on designing something that they can reasonably expect will produce the results that they're after in terms of how it functions, its quality and its cost. Um, and really what it's doing is that it's taking the, the vast confusing jungle that is AM and cutting down all of the trees and all of the creepers that have got nothing to do with you or what you're trying to do, leaving you with your optimal palette of technologies. That's, that's stage one of it. That's called navigate, which gives you your, your ingredients. Stage two is called educate, whereby you then get access to, you know, definitive technology specific DFAM for the technologies that have been presented to you, which that's called educate. And the third stage is called connect. And if it's all, if that's all too much hassle, it puts you in touch with a legion of curated, real expert designers who can work with you on what you're trying to achieve with your optimal technologies at your level to get everyone going on the right track. Um, and it's a big project. Um, I've got a little MVP app that acts as a guide to AM, which will provide the raw data for the machine learning to trawl through. Um, 
but I hope would be a very, very useful tool to, to act as a kind of um, a bypass to the online marketing, advertising, and SEO that dominates um, the way in which anybody can try and find technologies now. You do any kind of online search and you're at the mercy of Google Ads and SEO in terms of what's going to be shown to you. Um, and this is a much more objective, bespoke way of finding your way into this technology. It's it's a great project. And it, it, content aggregation has a number of business problems associated with it. And um, no matter what, it, it has to start with like a critical mass. And I, you know, I've enjoyed browsing I am manifest. Um, it, it, because it feels like it start, it's got the critical mass. And so, um, you know, I, I congratulate you on, on getting that put together. Uh, and, you know, it, it, these things are like pets. So. Uh, thank, thank you, Blake. I, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of love. Uh, but, you know, these things can be, become, you know, useful, the, the, you know, the, the users um, become, you know, become part of the community, right? So it's um, yeah. it's fun. It's fun to, to have that get started. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, so tell, I guess, tell, me, tell me about Lattice Robot. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason I think the reason we're all, you know, hanging out today and, and talking to, to you guys out there. Uh, is because we we found a lot of connection between the two products, and maybe there are even some ways that we can work together with the products. Um, uh, the and, and so, uh, but but we have very similar values in that we've 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 observed that that knowledge is 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 one of the missing ingredients, and and productizing knowledge to engineers is hard. Um, there's People in the in the engineering software world throw around a stat. I have no idea where it came from or how true it is that engineers spend half their time looking for information. And I can tell you, as someone who every once in a while makes some things, like I, I spend more time on uh, you know, fast looking for fasteners than I do drawing things in CAD and, mm -hmm. and just you know, picking out a fastener from you pick your favorite components vendor, uh, downloading the step file, putting it in the assembly, and and, and, and repeating that. It, it, it's shocking, yet and, and, and yet no one solved that problem in any way that, that that's material to 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 a designer's experience. And, and so, so these problems are hard. Uh, and, and and when when you start a pro project like A M and the Festival Last Robot, you have to realize you're solving something that's gonna that, that has layers of complexity to it. Uh, in the same way that you know sometimes if you feel like you know you have to make a rocket company to start a satellite company. Um, so, uh, Lattice Robot is an attempt to start engineering around the mesoscale. I'm going to say mesoscale instead of mesoscale because Americans say beta, not beta. I hope that's okay with everybody. So, uh, I, 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 I don't really know what to do or how to behave. Um, so, the, uh, the thing about mesoscale, um, if you, if you look at the CEO, if you go to some of the talks of, of Matt Shopper, the CEO of, of Lattice Robot, he, he, he does these beautiful presentations with cross sections of tree, uh, magnified tree geometry, and you see the cell structure of trees. 
and the cell structures of other bio, biological structures, the uh, trabecular structures of bones. And, and it talks about these things uh, a little bit differently than I think most people do. And I was inspired watching him speak in that it made me realize that engineers should care, or often do care about these. Like take something like a simple closed cell EVA foam you might use. Like that has a mesoscale structure. Most people don't care. You say, ah, it's foam. This is its density. This is where it is on the Ashby chart of materials. I know there's air in there. I don't really care about the Voronoi structure of it. And that's fine. And then you go to photo render it and you're like, okay, now I got to apply uh, the right kind of shader to this, which is sort of a dull, not very specular, you know, diffuse kind of shader. And, and, and that's a secondary process. There's a, there's a disconnect there where in, in, in theory, if you were actually had a mesoscale model of the geometry, you could zoom in, you could see the cells, the, the renderer would even do the right thing if it were, if everything were just perfect. Um, that, 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 that idea kind of captivated to me, to be honest, and add to the, the equation, the, the CTO, Nechike Patil, he was one of the founders of uh, 3D Sim, one of the pioneering companies in metals additive simulation, and he's had a number of other stints in, in, in metals additive. Uh, this guy is great because he'll, he'll, he'll explain very quickly to anyone who's, who's working on, I hope I'm not misquoting him here, but like the metative additive simulation problem, he calls a Bermuda Triangle for smart people, um, <laughs> because you know, the, 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 the setup of the problem is so challenging that it's really hard to expect a good solution. It's like certain kinds of CFD or turbulent combustion or something. It's like simulating that is maybe not the best engineering approach to delivering a product. Um, and so, and so he, he's, he's a wonderful addition. He's built out our simulation pipeline. So Lattice Robot is an attempt to build engineering tools around the mesoscale. And our assumption is that because it's lots of little things like foams, people aren't gonna draw that stuff, it's gonna be generated. So if you if you look at the wave of generative design, one of the things it's good at is modeling these fine scale structures that are kind of similar but repeating and doing that very at performance. And meanwhile, you see tools like SolidWorks adding photo renderers that, that are capable of, 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 this kind of, of this kind of detail even if not in geometric modeling, and you say, hey, there's something going on here. Uh, engineers might use, you know, if you want to produce this stuff yourself, you're looking at a bit of a research project. And I mean, speaking of research, there are over, if, if, you, if you look for, for, for papers referencing entopology, you'll see over 800 academic papers, you know, you know, using kind of that tool to do various work like this. Um, but it's a little bit of work to go there and to figure it out. And, and you probably don't want to do it exactly like they did it. So you got to sort of interpolate or extrapolate their results to get yourself with some additional results and then do your own design of experiments. It's, it's a lot of work. So the idea behind Lattice Robot is to say, hey, let's take this raw geometry. And there's only, you know, 50 to 100 unit cells that most people are using and collecting data around. Um, so it's not that hard to have models of them, parametric models of them, implicit models of them. Um, but also, connect that to the literature in a way that that, that keeps the, the 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 literature vendors comfortable so highly obscured but hey this is the range where you can get and and by range if you look at you know, we're seeing some of these papers there okay so the, the, they specified we want a 20 uh, micron uh, wall thickness here it comes out at 80 microns and you know as an engineer if you've said hey I want like hey I'm gonna give this about 25 percent you know volume fraction 
and your wall thickness comes out four times what you think it's going to be, you're not going to have much air left, right? That's not the volume fraction you expected to get. It's near 100%. So, so, so how do you even like start without screwing that up? Well, you got to put it in a place where it's useful to engineers. And you're, I, I, don't, I don't think many engineers are going to Google hundreds of papers to find these. So there's a good example. The, the, the folks uh, at Penn State, Tim Simpson, um, have put together a data set called the Lucy data set. It's behind the Penn State IP wall because they're referencing all this academic data. So we're going through the process of, 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 of basically aggregating it and coming up with new data that, that's not you know, directly derived from that data that says, this is where you can go. And leave by, here's where you can go back to Elsevier or whoever to get the actual thing. If, if you need to go through and reproduce the results, you probably need that information. We're at least trying to let you know what's possible and get all that in one place. The unifying structure for that are, are Ashby charts, where where you can browse these material properties and compare these things to each other. You know, the reality is that there are some oxetic structures that do kind of cool things, and, and that's kind of fun. But at the end of the day, most of the stuff behaves close to the volume fraction of the actual properties. Some structures. Are, are more stretchy, but um, anyhow, there's a lot to choose from. And so, one of the cool things you realize when when, when browsing the site and and and, and seeing what's available in the, in the mesoscale world is, is is that 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 there's a lot of aesthetic decisions you can make as well. Um, and that and that you can say I can pick a perfectly functional lattice, uh, and and um, and, and also have it have a secondary characteristics, thermal characteristics, design characteristics, something else, uh, vibration damping characteristics that I'm looking for. And so the work at Lattice Robot is to organize that data and, and make all that data available. Uh, I forgot to mention the superpower in magic tricks. So, so like I mentioned, uh, it's using implicit modeling and these generative that something is being either part of the modern wave of generative design tools and also something we're seeing emerging in mainstream CAD and, and additive manufacturing products like Fusion and Octon. Um, and and e even tools like, like CAD systems like NX are creating code-like ways of, of, of producing this stuff. And so what we realized was that the world, other than through through in, in sort of some very, very, this is what we call them heavyweight initiatives, like what MTOP is doing for interoperability by making libraries available. If you want to do it from the other approach, and 3MF is doing a nice job getting this started, um, is to say, I want to just sort of have this, this code of my design, the, the program that makes the, the, the mesoscale geometry available and interoperable. And um, when we first got the idea, I called up Brad and MTOP. I said, hey, do you think this is a good idea for a third party company to go off and make this thing? And he said, yes, this is fantastic because it's a bigger problem than any one company. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it'll drive excitement and, and build energy around this stuff because, frankly, people are struggling to use the tools and it'll make the tools more, more accessible. So, and mm -hmm. this is the company that once made a Lattice Explorer, but does, and, and made, instead realized the market needed a Lattice construction set, but that's not right for everybody. And now the Lattice construction set you know, like, hey, this having a Lattice Explorer that's based on real data where you can just download the unit cell and make it work in our system. So, so this is really cool. And, and um, I mean, we can just provide some links, uh, but, 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 but we're just, we're using this idea of code interoperability. So we can make code that just works with something like, well, NTOP, but, but also, the, you know, tools like uh, 
Octon or, or Hyperganic or what Altair is doing. Uh, everyone's got their own take on this, and they're doing it in different sort of programming environments. But the, 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 the common element is all code and pure code. We, you don't need to have any kind of accelerated magic tricks. And uh, Top has dozens of accelerated magic tricks that make it a, a wonderful experience for users. It makes the interoperability a little less pure. That's fine for all practical applications. Uh, but also, for, but, but we can use this sort of simpler and more pure form of interoperability just for, for mesoscale geometry, just for representative volume elements and, and, and unit cells. And, and this is, I mean, this is really exciting that, 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 this is, that, they, that, that basically this has happened before things like shaders, the company Algorithmic that was acquired by Adobe, with, I think, Adobe Substance Designer, uh, is basically, you think of Lattice Robot as like that. Uh, but the, you know the goal is to put that it makes the substances that are used by all these other systems. We're like the substance designer for generative mesoscale. Um, so we've got some lattices in there now. By the time this airs, maybe we'll be showing more with things like surface textures. Um, there's some, some other kind of opportunities we, we see there that may be nice commercial opportunities. But the important thing is to get the conversation going with users, getting some data mm -hmm. out there. It's a little bit young um, as as a website. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things I learned from GrabCAD is start to have the conversation with folks sooner rather than later. And that means even, you know, you know, so, so when the product's 80% done, you put it out there and say, okay, tell us what you think. And it, it's, it's, it's way more fun to hear from users what to do than to debate it yourselves. So, um, we're kind of at that phase and having that conversation and getting that feedback, getting the first third party data sets up there. And getting some test um, unit cell geometry out. So we have a GLSO version in Shader Toy where you can play around with all the full parameters of, of a lattice robot lattice. And, um, and today I'm, I'm making the C sharp version that, 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 that'll probably won't be out long before this airs. Um, so yeah, uh, Python should be out. Uh, ask me about it after you hear this. Excellent. When do you anticipate it's going to come out of beta? You know, the, the label beta uh, is really a marketing term, not a mm. not a measure of te technical ready readiness. And um, I'll, I'll rephrase I, that. When when will we be able to see more? Well, I mean, we're we're updating it about weekly at, at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I I we have our we have a sort of distance field-based modeling system that's really a compiler that compiles to uh, the more heavy-duty kernels uh, or, or the renderers. Um, and so a lot of the work is, you know, really do a lattice every other day or so, you know, compute some the, the properties for it, you know, you know Matt's working on the write-ups and things like that. We're just sort of getting it out there. It hasn't become a full Web 2.0 product yet where the community can make edits. So that's probably an important feature. And we probably have a little bit more fine-tuning to do on the user interface based on feedback. So I would say that it's sort of feature complete I, by the end of the year would be would be my hope. And, and so what, where we, we, when you want to create an interoperability solution, you need to work with partners around interoperability. And, and so a lot of what we're doing right now is is sort of getting the partners on board phase. So, so we created a pretty early demo. The team, the engineering team, of, uh, the, the CEO and the CTO, we're kind of all looking for something to do around the same time, just at the at the beginning of of May. So so this team, I introduced this team to each other in the beginning of May, first week of May, and we 
launched a, a fully functioning demo at the CD Fam, Dwan Scott CD Fam conference in, in New York on June 14th. So it was a six week uh, epic, you know, it's just engineering. It, it, I, I like working on that kind of schedule because you kind of know what you need. You work backwards, like, well, this is what we need to achieve at the end of every week, and what you get done gets done. And if something didn't get done, that's you just keep you <laughs> doesn't matter. You're, you're you're going to be working on the next week's stuff, and so it's in and, and um, but we built a pretty effective demo and, and got a bunch of data in there. Uh, then realized we wanted to do it a little bit differently, and so over the summer we built it properly. Um, so so so, but the, the main re the reason to get it done in that way was to have the conversations with the, who's interested in this. And I think the main thing we learned at CD Fan was that nobody really wants to make their own lattice library. Some people are specialists, like General Lattice is doing an amazing job collecting empirical data and sort of the hyperelastic kind of data uh, associated when, when when a lattice gets squashed and, and, and the elasticity yeah. goes up. Um, and, uh, they call it densification. Um, you know, we're hoping you know that to 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 work with them to you know direct people to their work. Like like we're we're. You know, if you want to, if you want want to be embraced by everybody, you have to add value to everybody. And so, you know, Lattice Robot will not be filling parts with lattices. That's the job of everybody else. Um, we'll probably make test coupons and say, hey, here's the you know, download this STL file of a test coupon, 3ML file of a test coupon, and um, and 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 then type in, and, you know, test it, and then type these numbers in over here, pretty please. And that'll help us build out knowledge. So I'm hoping to have that kind of conversation with the community. Um, but 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 you know, filling parts with lattices is hard work. And there are some assumptions that well, and here's here's a great example of some of one of the reasons we're in the trough of disillusionment. And I don't I don't it's I estimate like sort of 10% of generative designers know this, but edge effects are a big deal when it comes to, to lattices. So we talked about homogenous homogenized properties. And that's what, you know, Lattice Robot and, and, and top of these other systems, and the systems like extreme engineering around for a long time that compute these, 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 these homogenized properties. But homogenized properties make the assumption that everything behaves the same way. And that's roughly true of a composite part or, or, or a solid part, you know, up to like 100 atoms in from the edges. Well, when you're dealing with lattices, each unit cell is like an atom. And so you got to be like 50, 100, unit cells in from the outside before the cells start behaving in a homogenized way. Yet, when you look at, you know, you've got a part that's, you know, I don't know, a half a meter large and you fill it with lattice, where each lattice is, you know, a half a centimeter, you know, you're getting there. But like most parts just have a little bit of lattice in them and those don't behave in a homogenized way. So despite with lattice robot that we're selling you or showing you, these homogenized unit cell properties, we also need to tell you, you're not going to get that. This is a ballpark. Like if you see mm -hmm. an oxetic Poisson ratio, yeah, maybe you'll get that for a little while. But like, just just realize that 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 that's not being compensated for. And if anyone does figure out how to say parameterize a lattice or comes up with a data set that says, hey, you can compensate for edge effects with stiffness by modulating mm -hmm. wall thicknesses, this function of distance from the outside. But we'll get that you know last robot and be easy thing to use in any kind of distance field based model. So 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 just making that kind of esoteric information available is 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 the job. It's a it's a starting point, and I don't I don't think that those kinds of differentials are a problem because you know des designers are used to things not being 
absolutely perfect. And it's about, you know, making allowances for these kinds of differentials. I mean, so many times in a, in a bureau environment, when a, when a client was trying to achieve a certain material property from a piece of SLS, it was about bracketing thicknesses, you know, and, and identifying the ones that worked. You use your experience, and in your case, Lattice Robots, information to get you in the right realm, and then you can start, you know, tweaking around it. And that's that's just traditional designing. Um, it's I, I find it's the people who are new to design, and you know, AM has lured them into the world of making things that expect everything to be perfect and everything to be right first time. Um, but you know, it's it's what prototyping is all about. Prototyping isn't about testing to see if things are perfect. It's about seeing where they're at and making adjustments. Um, but I think I, I think Lattice Robot is a, a very elegant example of of what I'm looking for from the world of AM which is about the consolidation of understanding. It's about not, not having a myriad people banging their heads against the same problem um, and you know, disseminating experience for everyone to, to take steps forward. You know, as, as we climb that hill out of the trough and onto the slope of enlightenment, um, you know, for as long as I've been involved in AM, everybody, has been talking about the potential that it holds. It's got great potential. And I've been involved with this for 10 years and I'm sick of waiting for the potential. You know, things need to be activated and, you know, agglomerated and disseminated so that we can all, you know, move forward on the back of each other's experience. And, you know, in a small way, that's what organizations like AMOD do. Um, TCT is starting a UK users group and there will be an element of that in it but that's all very small scale and involves you know people gathering together physically and talking and showing there need to be you know platforms where you can make these leaps you know independently um, and you know I think Lattice Robot is a, is a great example of that coming together and I hope my thing which is not as advanced as yours um also can play you know a small part in helping that happen too absolutely and um you know it, 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 as you're talking you know so I I, I I i always think well what can we do and and, and so what i'm hoping is that it, it, as as you add data that you have some information about sort of surface texture and properties like that um you know so certainly, like as you so as as the user starts their their, their journey and and a manifest, like, okay, I want to make a part, figure out you know, and we want to make a thousand of them, so I want to cut them all. You know, what 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 process do I want to use? Do I want to use you know, a, a high end FDM? Do I want to use an SLS? What are, you know, what what will that mean for the just warping of my part? Do I care more about tolerances or surface mm -hmm. thinness? And and mm -hmm. and you know, I think what Lattice Robot can contribute to that is to say, okay, well, in your CAD system, here's the here's the the material for 
FDM, and here's the material for SLS. And you can actually look at it, and you can see the assembly. You go to the cross cross section and say, okay, yeah, it's gonna be like like one of the things about FDM, like. You know that sound you make when you're walking with corduroy pants? You know, like... <laughs> like yeah, like, I wear a lot of like, corduroy, yeah. Yeah, um, I, 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 yeah. So, 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 so like, if, if, if you're making an assembly on an FDM part, so you need to pay attention to, to the build direction, uh, sometimes you might want that kind of... That, 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 that it slides nicely in one direction and not the other. That anisotropy mm-hmm. on a sliding surface, you can use that for engineering, but usually you don't. Also... If you, if you actually want to have a, a if you're actually going to do, like, you might not want to use that for contact. And you say, okay, well, I can sand that down. Uh, how much do I sand? It turns out those little bumps are a wonderful sanding guide. If you actually mm. like, make stuff and you're practical, you're like, mm-hmm. I can use this. To, to, it's like the wear marks on a tire. Like, that's, but what is that inner what I sand to, right? That kind of knowledge. I mean, we put a lot of that kind of thing into the, the Stratasys Advanced FDM product. But, you know, thinking of generalizing that, well, you should be able to see that anywhere. And it may be a little while before you can do that in SolidWorks, but you can do that in NTOP today and in other, other systems today. So just to be able to zoom in and say, wow, that's what's going on in the mesoscale. And if, like, one of the things you often see happen is stuff gets crushed. You crush a lattice. Some little beams are going to buckle. It's just really, it's very nonlinear. Uh, very, very small deflections get, get nonlinear fast. And, and, and when you can zoom in and look at that stuff, you, you have an appreciation of it that you wouldn't have when everything, it, it sort of, we use the term cat eyes uh, to refer to like, you know, not understanding the scale of what you're working on. It usually it's you make something that's way bigger, way smaller than you expected. Uh, but there's also kind of this thing where, you, you don't, you don't, you, like everything is at perfect tolerance. And and, and I, I've heard designers lament to me over the years, good engineers say, hey, I really need a tool that at the concept phase lets me understand my tolerancing issues because I'm trying to you know, work with the manufacturing process. And that's where my tolerance are. How can I have fuzzy geometry? Uh, implicit modeling is interesting for because it, it lets you do that kind of thing if you want to in, in a kind of way that's, I don't know, neat, uh, different, but it, could you do it with a parametric system? Sure, but it's rarely done, and, and 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 it's still just seeing a single face. So seeing that texture and understanding what it fits really going to be like is it going to feel smooth or feel cruddy? Um, that that's something that you can see now, and so so just making that easy. And so so I like to think that that there's some sort of thing where where I don't know maybe we can get you some textures just to put up on your site or something like that. Um, once we get these things working. And it'll be interesting to see how, how we get all this stuff baked in to all the various CAD systems in ways that are meaningful for the users mm-hmm. of those systems. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. I mean, I think this goes to show that, you know, design for AM is so much more interesting and rich um, than it's often talked about. Um, it's it's these kind of nuances and keeping your eyes open to the, the different ways in which things emerge are, that that can really make some great breakthroughs. And it's about keeping your eyes open to what's in front of you. I mean, some, something that, you know, an attitude that we had back at the Bureau was that there was no such thing as a failed print. You always had to look at what the machine had given you um, because, you know, there may well be something that, that was accidentally produced that could be extremely useful in another context. And it's all about understanding 
these things. Um, and, you know, from my perspective, it's it's kind of direct experience of having design conversations and then following these objects through a machine into the physical manifestation that are really interesting. Um, and that's that's the kind of experience that also needs to be, um, you know, gathered and shared as well, so that so that we all we all move forward and climb climb the slope. Like we've covered a huge amount of ground uh, during this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think your your enthusiasm is what I I love about you know the lattice work project, um, and you know I'm watching it with interest um and you know i suggest that that everybody else keeps an eye on it too and and thank you for for your work uh put it put, put it together the knowledge i think um it, it it's it, it's a it's a it's it's the time to do the hard work and it's, it's perfectly normal i think for folks like you and me who've been around the block once or twice to say okay enough is enough this is how, like, I may not know everything, but this is how we get things done. And we're going to share that in some way that hopefully is meaningful to people. And uh, yeah, Sam, thank you for the opportunity to talk a little bit about these projects. It, 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 it's, uh, I, I certainly look forward to engaging more with the community as we bring more technology like this to market. Yeah, likewise. Thanks a lot, Blake. Look forward to speaking to you again soon in private. Let's talk to you soon. Cheers.